draws near and my time has come still my soul will sing your praise unending ten thousand years and then forevermore sing it now oh the blessed Lord oh my
and mine in your life this morning. Amen. We're going to take our needs before the Lord this morning. And I see many visitors with us. Good to have Brother Chris and his uh, family in town. Brother Frejo, it's good to have you with us. Amen. I'm going to ask you to come forward to take the needs before the Lord once we're done mentioning those, Brother. Amen. I want to remember uh, Brother Ben McCafferty in prayer. He's not feeling well today, so if you would keep him in your prayers. Amen. Remember uh, Brother Peter and his family and uh, also the Ward family. They're out of town in Arizona uh, for the holidays. So if you would just pray that God would grant traveling mercies and keep them safe during that time. Amen. Uh, Josh and Kristen are not with us today either. Uh, They're up in Dunn, North Carolina. Keep them in your prayers. Amen. Sister Karen and Brother David are uh, in isolation right now, dealing with the virus. Uh, just want to pray for them as well. Uh, Brother Jeff Jackson is not with us. I also have a request for Brother David Whitlock. He is not feeling well. Uh, there's many others. Uh, some of those are not on this list. But we want to remember these folks in prayer. Amen. God will grant them speedy recovery through this time. Amen. Remember uh, the Paschal family that could not be with us today, work-related issues. Amen. I have a prayer request uh, for Brother Richard Smith's granddaughter, Kaylee. She has the coronavirus. So if you'd remember her in prayer. I also have a written testimony from Sister Christy. She said... She would like to give a quick testimony. Uh, She was out shopping with the family. They were putting stuff in the car. And she said her mind just opened up with clarity and understanding. And she can see and think like she's supposed to. Praise the Lord Jesus. He's still a healer. And that's from Sister Christy. Amen. Isn't God wonderful? Amen. Thank you, God, for that healing touch. Amen. God bless you, Sister Christy. Amen. Come on up, Brother Frejo. Take these needs to the Lord for us, brother. Amen. Do you have unspoken prayer requests by uplifted hands? God knows your needs, and we're going to pray with you, friends. Amen. As we bow our heads, Heavenly Father, we thank you this resurrection morning once again. Thank you for the work you did on Calvary and provide for every need. We thank you that by your stripes we are healed. We are saved. We are redeemed. Our joy is restored. Our faith is increased. Lord God, in this morning, the petitions that were read, many sick, afflicted. Lord, and for the many reasons that come upon us, that, Lord, bring a hardship in our lives. Lord God, for that very reason, you died on the cross of Calvary. For that very reason, you were buried. But many died and many were buried because you rose again Father God we can take by faith your promises we can apply them in our lives in our homes in our churches and Lord have a victory in love divine we thank you this morning bless Lord Jesus the ministering of your word that it will truly minister to every heart and every special need that there might be and we ask all these things in the precious name of our Lord Jesus Christ You can have your seats. Man, Brother Keith has a special for us, and then also Sister Lily 
Harbaugh has a special after he does. Amen. Brother Keith. <coughs>
appreciate those beautiful specials. Remember Keith and Sister Lily. Amen. It's just wonderful the contribution they add to the service. Amen. We greatly appreciate those things. Amen. Let's stand this morning. I'd like to sing that song as our pastor is coming. His strength is perfect. Key of F. I can do all things. Christ who gives me strength. But sometimes I wonder what He Success to show. 
good to have all of you here today. I'd like to go to prayer if you don't mind, and I wanted to mention a special request here before we do that today. That is for Sister Greg, and uh, she had a fall and did some severe damage to her face, her eye and her face and her jaw, and uh, the, the nerve that moves her eyes is impinged by broken bones in her face. And um, she's just in a difficult spot. She's in Fry Hospital uh, this morning. She's still in the emergency area uh, because there's nowhere to place her. Uh, and they're deciding about um, doing surgery. And this is a, a big issue for Sister Greg. Uh, and at this particular point, they're deciding, uh, they're leaning towards not doing the surgery. And so that means that she would have to live with all the broken bones in her face. Um, she has that recurring infection that she's been fighting for years. And so uh, we just really need to bind our hearts together today to pray for Sister Craig and just to undertake for her, just to give her relief of what she must be feeling. And uh, just give the doctors real wisdom and guide their hands and their thought process in this. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts together today, Lord, and as we have prayed already this morning with our musicians and uh, song leaders, Lord, we, we pray that in any way, if there's anything in our lives that we have done that may hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit, Lord, forgive us of it, and I pray that you would look at us through the blood of Christ. But Lord, we also pray today that if there is any force that may try to hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit today, not something from us, but something, Lord, that might be pressing against us, I, I pray that it would be pushed back and that the sons and daughters of God would have liberty and, and freedom in the Spirit today, Lord, that we might rejoice and, and welcome the presence of God among us. We desire, Lord, that you would come in and take over, that you would just have complete control, and you would be the voice that speaks, and you'd be the heart that receives the word that, Lord, is able to transform us. We pray now in the name of Jesus Christ that you would just take complete control of this service. We have many, many members that are not here today, many, Lord, who are sick and needing a touch from you. And I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that you would go to them even now and, Lord, be their portion, be their strength, and be their healer today. Whatever the need is, Lord, we know that you're always above it. You're greater. Your one Lord is able to pour your strength and your mercy and grace out upon each and every need. But Lord, today especially we are reminded of the, uh, of the position that Sister Greg is in today, Lord, and uh, in her August years and, and in this season of life, we know, Lord, that things are difficult. And Lord, it, it's hard for her to understand even what's taking place around her and within her. But Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would be merciful to her, that Lord, you would give her relief for these symptoms, and that you would, Lord, bring healing to her body. We know Sister Greg to be a believer. She trusts in you, Lord. She has held on to your word, Lord, for many, many years and has a deep love and appreciation for you. And so in the name of Jesus Christ, we lift her up before you. Pray that you would just give her that touch that she needs. And Lord, I pray that you would touch the doctors who are in charge. And Lord, may you direct their minds and their hearts to be able to minister to her and make the right decisions with Sister Frida and her sister, Lord, and the family. And Lord, we just commit the whole situation now into your hands. And may your grace and mercy be extended to her. We pray, Lord, for her relief of pain and ask her, God, that you would bring comfort to her. 
And Lord, I ask now that you would just bless this service and minister, Lord, to the needs of your people here and those that are listening. We commit them all to you with great confidence. Bless each one that's here in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. Just a couple of preliminaries here uh, today. Thank you, musicians. That would be great. It sounded so nice today and uh, so wonderful. We uh, are glad that uh, things are set up the way they are so that we're able to uh, uh, have have service without interruption here. Appreciated this special today and uh, everything that's been done. Now, uh, a couple of quick announcements here today um, that are important. Number one, uh, Jared and Betsy, we're glad to have you here today. And uh, we have been praying for you, Brother Jared. Great to have you here. And I know it's a as I said this morning, it's a tough thing to go through seasons and holidays when we lose a loved one, but we have been praying for you and just trust the Lord will uh, bless you and your family uh, together. Um, we also are delighted to have uh, Chris and uh, Keisha here today, and may God bless you. It's certainly great to have you. Uh, got here without me knowing on Wednesday night. Of all my years of being in this church I think weather has only knocked me out one time, and that one time was Wednesday night. Wednesday night, Chris comes into town, and I was not here to uh, welcome him at the door. But we're glad to have them here uh, today, and Titus and Anthony and Alora. Uh, may God bless the whole family, and I appreciate them and their uh, vision for coming uh, this way. And it's great to have the Fryhos with us uh, today. Uh, Known the Fryholz for a long, long time. And it's just great to have you here uh, today, Sister Karen, Brother Daniel. And uh, we uh, regret Sister Becky's not here, but she sent a little note down to you, so I'll give you that after church. And uh, we just trust that the Lord will bless you. It's strange times that we, you know, can't get together like we normally would like to. I've, I was just telling Jeremy, I've given out so many rain checks this year uh, for when we can get together and spend time together to people. It's I've lost track of all the rain checks, so uh, we we are glad, though, to have you with us, and may the Lord richly bless you, and uh, appreciate you coming out to be with the family. You're always welcome here, and uh, good to see you, good to have you. Um, we also, too, want to acknowledge today that, uh, as most of you know, Brother Lucas uh, graduated from the CMDA uh, program at Virginia Tech. He graduated on Friday night at home uh, with all of us. We were all there. We all uh, went through the motions and uh, had a. It was actually kind of nice. It was it was different for sure. Been to a lot of graduations in my life, and uh, this was different. But it was really uh, nice to be able to stand with Lucas and 2,600 other graduates uh, together and uh, listen to the uh, reading of all those names there. Uh, Lucas graduated from the uh, Computer Modeling and Data Analytics Program at Virginia Tech, uh, and it's taken him uh, five years to do that program. It's taken me five years to remember what the name of the program is. And then uh, it takes a little longer to figure out what he actually knows now. Uh, But I know this, that he knows more than me about whatever it is that he studied. And uh, so... We, uh, we are certainly proud of Lucas, and we have a gift for him, but uh, we'll do it when Sister Becky's here, and 
Uh, we just appreciate his labors and uh, everything that's gone into uh, crossing that great uh, milestone and, and accomplishing what he's done. So uh, may the Lord richly bless him because we know that God has good things in store uh, for him, for sure. So uh, it was a blessing. Now, uh, I wanted to show you just a couple of, uh, so are we able to throw the PowerPoint up first? Is that all right? So let's just bring that up uh, this, this morning here. And I wanted to show you a couple of pictures here uh, right after we do this. Brother Ben McCafferty's birthday, December 21st, and Lucas Walters also. Uh, December 23rd, Henry Coffey. It's his birthday. And they're, Lord willing, they're going to be flying out uh, before the service ends out to Arizona. December 24th, Hope Pritchard. How old is Hope? Three years old. Hope Pritchard's birthday on the 24th. Ron and Tina Knobloch's anniversary also on the 24th uh, of December. And December 26th is Emma McCafferty's uh, birthday as well. So God bless each and every one. Now... Um, Brother Elias over here, as most of you know, over, over on the on the left-hand side, your left, uh, he traveled, and I, I don't know whether he's alone or whether he's with somebody else, but he went out into a new area where this new Pentecostal church, people from a Pentecostal church uh, received the message. And Pentecostals have a real uh, serious drive in that country, the Pentecostal denomination, to build bigger churches and are always doing these revivals and programs and music things in order to get people in their area. And they really resist the message of the hour. They really don't want to see people become involved. Well, in this area in central Tanzania, this pastor uh, had somebody in his assembly who found out about the message and began to read it and believe it, brought it to the pastor, and the pastor just embraced it and thought this was really wonderful. And as a result of that, they had um, several people in the church uh, who all of a sudden now were pushing to hear more of this whole uh, concept of a, uh, you know, a prophet in the end time and getting very excited about it. They were ushered out of the church. They were told to leave. And they went, and they're in this ramshackle, leaking uh, structure in the back, which is their church. And it leaks like a basket, they say. They just These are... These are scraps of old tents that they have put there on two-by-fours. And uh, Brother Elias was in there ministering. He said it rained the whole time, and it rained right over the pulpit uh, the whole time they were there. And uh, I asked Brother Elias, I said, what would it take to repair the roof? He said, they really don't have a roof to repair. He said, they got to start building kind of from scratch and, you know, make something strong enough to actually hold a roof, a covering over their head. And I said, well... Listen, let's, let's uh, you know, do what we can to, to get, help get them established, number one, in the faith. And then number two, let's see if we can help to get them uh, a proper place where they can worship in comfort. So uh, Brother Elias has been on the road two weeks. He's ministered 14 times already. He's totally exhausted. And uh, he's been traveling around and ministering to these groups here. And these are in two or three different towns and uh, this is one of them. This, this church is in Kahama, where I was telling you about the Pentecostal people. So he went there to help uh, establish them in the present truth and minister to them. So he was very excited about that. Now, we have a little clip uh, of their worship here in the rain. 
And so uh, we're going we're gonna to trust that this will work today. And this is the, the group singing. Let's make sure we got the volume here. Uh, uh, song leaders, eat your heart out. This is, this is he's just great to watch. So we have to have the sound here. They're great to watch anyway, but but uh, I love I love their music and uh, they're they're in such a, a terrible circumstance, but they're enjoying it so much uh, because these are people now who are just new in the faith. They're birthed in the faith and they're excited about uh, you know what what they're seeing and what they're hearing, and now they have this brother Elias coming, and now they have this this other group in America who are interested in them and help and provide for them, so they're, they're just really excited, and we're excited for them. And it'll be more exciting when we, what? No sound. All right. So, uh, can I play it on my phone? Can I do that? Let's just go the old-fashioned way, and, and let's do this here. Just let me try this, just for fun. And, uh, I mean, you're not going anywhere, right, for, for just a little bit, so let's just, let's just... Wonderful. Now, um, you know, we 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 view this, uh, you know, coming in in a message. We view it one way. In those countries, uh, many times those those uh, pastors are promised uh, like a regular income and a retirement to remain in that denomination. So for him to step out of that. Uh, is is really quite a sacrifice. I mean, that that brother really has, must have a revelation, uh, you know, to come out and ha- leave everything behind and have his own uh, now, you know, having had his own church and his own support uh, built into the system, and now he's stepping outside of all of that and uh, being there. I, I just, uh, you know, I just think that's wonderful. I don't know any of these people because these are just new folks that are newly coming to faith. So. Uh, I'm, I'm anxious to, to go and meet them and be able to spend a bit of time with them. So 
that's just wonderful. Last thing I want to say, we appreciate Brother Aaron's uh, service on Wednesday night. I was truly blessed and uh, good to have you in person. And uh, Sorry I missed it, but uh, we, I'm still getting great reports from people who have listened online, and we appreciate the, the word of the Lord. Let's stand to our feet this morning, and uh, you ready for the word? So uh, I know our sound is different in here this morning, but, uh, you know, it, it's, always, it, it's different here than it is in the sanctuary over there. But uh, we want you to uh, be the other half of the gift today and be conscious of your responsibility as that other half of, of the ministry today. And your amens, they make a difference. I have my phone with me today. I brought it here for a couple of different reasons. So the people who are listening online, they're able to press their amen button as well and and uh, let us know that they are out there. Let's go in the book of Revelation. We're going to go in chapter 13. Chapter 13, verse 15. If you don't mind, let's go back to 11 just to read a couple of extra verses there. And I beheld another beast coming out of the earth that had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercises all the power of the first beast before him. And causeth the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. And he doeth great wonders, so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. This is a great deceiver. And deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of these miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth that they, they should make an image to the beast, which had the wound by a sword and did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their forehead, and that no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast, or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, threescore, and six. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Now, I, I told you last Sunday uh, at the outset when we talked about this whole idea of marks and seals, uh, the mark of the beast and the seal of God, that I would not get finished on uh, one morning just because there's, there's uh, a lot of material there that we need to cover and talk about, and uh, it rarely gets done in one single service. I'm here to tell you the same thing again this morning, that there's more material here that, uh, that I have that is going to be able to be covered uh, in one particular service. So bear with me here because this is an important one, and I'll tell you why it's so important uh, in just a moment. But let me, let me just give you a little uh, preamble here that is not essentially related to what I'm going to talk about today. But I found this little statement in a message by Faith Moses, and I appreciate Sister Doris uh, getting this this morning for me out of the library. She printed it out. And uh, I, it's, it's a little piece of advice that I have been giving people for many years and never knew that Brother Branham uh, experienced the same thing. And I'm always delighted to find that because 
not because I'm actually uh, being like Brother Branham, but rather because I know the same spirit that dealt with him has also dealt with me. And on my level, uh, inspired me to say certain things that I know are of God. That's how you know something's of God. Uh, when you can trace it back and find a resource. So this is, this is very comforting to me. And I, I, I just wanted to say this as a footnote here. There was an evangelist uh, a number of years ago who came to me, and he, he called me up, and, and he was talking about a sickness that he had experienced. And it was uh, pretty serious uh, in his body, just being worn down, uh, living for years on the road. And uh, every, just about every meal he ate came through a drive through window, just, uh, you know, just a, a, that's a tough road for any person today is to do evangelistic work uh, in, in any country, let alone our country here. But traveling, staying in motels, you know, and, and uh, living that kind of a life, it's very difficult. Very good evangelist. You all know his name. He's ministered here before. But uh, going through a season now where uh, his body just was... was uh, reacting to all of those years of stress and sitting in a car and driving and living that kind of a life that, uh, that he's lived for a number of years. And uh, when he had the health issue, he called me and told me about that and asked me if I would pray for him, and I told him I would. And I gave him this little piece of advice and told him, I said, that, that uh, rest is a little bit different than healing. And I said, you can take a few days off and rest, you know, like not do anything and sleep and catch up on your sleep. And you'll feel better automatically just because you're catching up on your sleep and, 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 you know, your overall being, you'll feel a little bit better because you're doing that. But I said, that's a little different than real healing. Healing takes time. God will sometimes supernaturally do something quickly for you. And, and God is still a miracle worker. Isn't that right? And sometimes God does that. But there are times when there are situations in life that have taken years to develop, and they'll take also a, a while to unwind. They'll take a while to untie the knots that are there. And I said, so think about this fact. And I said, you know, most people can't just press the pause button in life and have all the bills paid and all of that. But I said, there are ways that you can reduce the stress and you can take time uh, you know, to be able to uh, go through a healing process because that's what your body is really calling for. And I said, when you, when you go through times like this, sometimes there are, there are ways that God's been trying to get your attention. And because he's a gentleman, he'll knock softly. But there are times when we don't hear those soft knocks. So he has to turn up the volume and get in your face and shock you to make you realize, I need to change. Or there is change coming. It's not always a, 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 a result of someone doing something wrong. It is sometimes just a result that God wants to change your course in life and change the direction in life. And he's got to do it by getting your attention. And God has unusual and creative ways to get your attention. So here's Brother Branham now in the, in the late 1950s, and he's moving from the first pole to the second pole, the first pole where he takes people's hands and notices the, the activity in their, uh, on their skin. And then he's moving into this uh, area now more deeply of discerning the thoughts and intents of the heart. And God is dealing with him because he's moving higher. 
Listen to what Brother Branham says. And this is just one little paragraph in this message by Faith Moses. He says, now, it's been two weeks here since uh, I've gotten in, come back to home, and I've been very nervous, as you understand, on the field. I get real, real worn out and can hardly go any further. And then I had to come in for a few days and just rest. And I took about three days down to Wolf Creek Dam down in Kentucky where I was born, and I thought, well, now it's just wonderful. I'm fine. Just feeling fine. Got out in the, in the country by himself and, you know, just resting, sleeping, and just feeling fine. And he said, and I got back home, and the first little thing met me in the face was some sort of a government affair with income tax. You remember when the IRS came after Brother Branham and wanted to tax him for all the revenue that was generated by his ministry. And they wanted to personally uh, charge him income tax because he endorsed all the checks with his own uh, signature. He never knew better. And so he didn't, he didn't uh, assign it to a ministry. He just personally endorsed all those checks. So therefore, they wanted to attach all that income to him and make him pay income tax, even though he could prove he didn't take that income. So the IRS began this whole process, and they, they really wore him out with this. All right, It was something that took years for him to get sorted out. And he says, when I got back home and I met this thing, this government affair with income tax, and I went all the way down to the bottom again. And so I realized it's going to take more than just a week or two to rest me up. Now, when I read that, I thought, you know, that's really true. Many times we think, you know, we take a, a day or a little bit of time off and we get caught up on our sleep and we feel better and think, hey, we'll go back at it again. But that's not the same as healing. So he's been on the road now for a long period of time. And he's nervous and upset and he's got this stress built up in his body. And he comes back, gets a couple of days break from that. But then something happens that triggers this response in him. And he's right back. He said, I'm right back down on the bottom again. I'm back where I felt like I was before. Because he's got hardly no reserve left in his body. He's just worn to a frazzle. Now, let me say this to you. What I told this brother uh, who was an evangelist, I said, there's a difference between just having some rest and letting your body heal. And I said, what you need to do is get yourself a cabin up in the mountains. And, uh, you know, I said, we'll financially support you for a season. And other ministers agreed to do that. There were several others that agreed to help him to do that just so he could get away and let his mind and his body relax a little bit and begin that healing process. And he did. And he took, I think there was about two months where he refused any invitations to minister anywhere. And he called me back at the end of that two months and he said, I understand now what you meant. I didn't understand it when you told me, but he said, I understand now what you meant. He said, this feels so different than just after a couple of days of catching up on my rest. And he said, it really is important for us to take that time. And here's Brother Branham. He, he's, he's hardly got the time and the freedom to be able to just push the pause button and just, you know, uh, take that, that real time to rest that he needs. But let me encourage you that, you know, we're heading into a, a holiday season, and unfortunately our holiday seasons these, these days are uh, not so restful and, and not so peaceful. Uh, but I, I think it's a good thing for us uh, to be mindful of the fact that we, we live in a, uh, we've lived through a year like no other year where we are faced with constant invisible stress and pressure, right, in this pandemic. 
It's kind of all around us, and we're always reminded of it. Every time you turn on the news or, uh, you know, when you're, when you're out and about, we're constantly reminded of the stress and pressure, uh, you know, that exists in our world today. And over time, let me tell you, it's a stressful thing. So I, I think that, uh, you know, when we have downtimes and we're, we don't have to be at work every day, and uh, I think it's good for us, uh, you know, to take the time to, to, to go slow, a little slower, to unwind, to spend time with our children, our grandchildren, and to pray and just get a little alone times if we can get it, uh, because we need it. We need it. Uh, we, we all live in a world that's filled with pressure anyway, but 2020 has been more difficult also. Are you with me? And Brother Branham is, you know, he's going through the same thing because he's got a very, very uh, important ministry, and, and God is moving uh, him up into a higher realm. And I, I'd say this to you as well, and I wondered about this as I was coming down the road this morning. I, I wondered, uh, you know, when things like this happen in the world around us, I wonder, is God also trying to get our attention? Because something's changing, and God's moving us maybe up into another realm. I don't know that. I'm like you. I'm, I'm with you in this thing. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering, is, is God changing things? And we just need to be ready for that because there, there are ways that God uh, seeks to get our attention. We can get diverted easily into busyness and stay busy. But I wonder, is God getting our attention and just causing us maybe to stop and think about uh, where this is all going? And this is what it was in Brother Ram's ministry, that God was not just, uh, you know, uh, making him as busy as he possibly could in the schedule. From this particular point in Brother Bam's ministry, he's changing. He's moving from the first pole to the second pole and, you know, getting him ready for the, the very next stage that's going to happen after that. Two or three years later, Brother Bam's going to go move into the third pole into that area uh, or that realm of ministry, and things are going to really change for him. So sometimes things happen for us, uh, and ha- they happen to us because God wants you to slow down. Sometimes they happen because God was changing something in your life. And you need a shock. You need an in-your-face moment for God to slow you down and stop you and say, Hey, buddy, uh, you're missing the important thing. You're busy as a beaver, but you're missing the important thing. And sometimes God has to shock us in order to make that happen. Isn't that right? And, and so there are times here when uh, we think, well, you know, hey, I buy a new car, I feel better. Or I, uh, you know, I get a raise, I feel better. Or I get a second job, and I feel better because we've got more money. And you realize over time those things really don't make you any more peaceful at all. And the, the buzz we feel quickly dissolves. Sometimes it's just that peace with God that really gives us that true rest that the Holy Ghost wants you to have. So that's just, that's just an aside. That's a bonus that doesn't cost you a thing. Just wanted to throw that in there uh, for you because I found that statement and I thought that was really uh, an interesting thing. All right, now, let's, let's take a look in the Scripture here and uh, we're going to look at a couple of places here that are of interest to us this morning. Now, let me give you a couple of quotes here as a, uh, just an introduction. This is the only book, Brother Branham said, in the Revelation series. This is the only book that Christ put his seal upon. He's referring to the book of Revelation. All right? So he's studying this now and creating the Revelation series, which will be edited and become the church age book. And he said this is the only book that Christ put his seal on. 
And if Satan hates any book in the Bible, it's the book of Revelation. He hates all scripture. But if anything, he despises mostly is Revelation and Genesis. Because Genesis tells the beginning and Revelation reveals what's going to happen in the last day. Going to be bound a thousand years, then him and the false prophet, the beast, is going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire and so on. It describes his end. But the book of Genesis also describes his origin. So everything that we have today in our world, everything that exists today in our world, had its origins in the book of Genesis. And so Satan fights that. But he also fights this eventual outcome that's described in the book of Revelation. So as a result, there are all kinds of uh, interpretations of the book of Revelation. It's not for everybody, but a certain class of people, and Brother Branham described them as a prophetic class of people who could understand this book of Revelation. But that's why Satan fights it so much. Now, in the uh, message, I will restore, he said in Genesis we realize different things happened back there. For instance, Babylon appeared first in Genesis, the Tower of Babel, and we have to watch Babylon. It appears over here about the middle of the Old Testament and then comes over in Revelation for the last days. As a matter of fact, Brother Ram said that Nebuchadnezzar, uh, when he built the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, he said that was a, a cheap imitation of what eternity will be like. And they say that the Hanging Gardens of Babylon are absolutely fantastic. I said to somebody yesterday that there is no picture that adequately describes or portrays the world's wonders. You can't go to the Grand Canyon, right, and take a photo or a selfie, not too close to the edge, and say, this is the Grand Canyon. You can't do it. I mean, you have, to, you have to take it in. It takes a long time for you to just take it in. And you can't do that. The world's wonders defy description in a camera. And the Hanging Gardens of Babylon were one of those things that you could not uh, just summarize very easily. They, they said they were fantastic. Brother Branham said it was like a cheap imitation of what eternity will be like. And he said uh, it, it began as, as Babylon began as being described as the gates of God and then Babylon confusion. That's where idolatry started. That's where idolatry ends. Still in Babylon. And it comes all the way through. Every tree must bring it up through time, up through the Bible. So it has its roots. It has its origins back in the book of Genesis. And then it comes all the way up uh, through and it uh, winds up in fruition in the book of Revelation that's described there. So uh, this, is, this is important. And Brother Random's gleaning from years of study through the book of Revelation and probing like many other ministries did over the years to try to understand the symbolism and the meaning of different things that happened in the book of Revelation. It was all very intriguing to people over the years. And Brother Branham did the same thing in his church, as I mentioned last Sunday, studied the book of Revelation for two straight years. But now in the end of it, when the seals come open, he's got now an insight that no other age ever had, right? And that insight was given to him to give to the bride of Christ in this day, and that's why we know what we know. Now, again, I'm just preambling here. The great subject that we are approaching today in the sermon called The Mark of the Beast, he said, it's caused some great controversy. Now, it has, right? And I mentioned to you last Sunday as well that uh, there are 554 million references to The Mark of the Beast on, uh, on or sorry, the 666 number uh, on the Internet, millions upon millions of references to the uh, mark, mark of the Beast and the Mark of the Beast with the um, technology and the uh, inserted chips and all of that. I mean, it's just incredible 
the volume of, of websites and uh, blogs that are dedicated to interpreting this book of Revelation. And many of them, I would say this, many of them are sincere. A lot of them are radical and, and silly, but uh, there are many of them that are very sincere. They're, they're wanting to understand what this means because they know they don't want to go there. A lot of people know enough about the Bible and about present times that they don't want to go there, right? But let me tell you something. Modern events are made clear by prophecy. That's, that's a, not only the title of a sermon, it is also a principle that all of us need to remember. That modern events, the things that are taking place today, are interpreted by prophecy, by Scripture, not by people sitting there doing a lot of research. Not by people who have access to good websites that you don't. Or they've come through schooling that you haven't. It has nothing to do with that. It is an unlocking something that only God has locked and chooses to unlock for certain people. That's, hey, that's, that's the way it is. And so therefore, I mean, it's really no different than the people in Noah's day who tried to understand what Noah was actually getting at and never could because the revelation was never unlocked to them. So they went with the next best thing, which is science, and they're learning. And it failed them. Brother Branham said, Now, I believe that it's such a great vital part of the Scripture that all Scripture should be taught. We should not leave any of it out. God spoke through the Scripture about the mark of the beast and how it was to appear in the last day. There have been many thoughts projected to the peoples concerning this vital God-sent message warning to the church. And remember now, the subject is the mark of the beast. There have been many thoughts projected to the people concerning this topic. He says... Many things has been thought and given to the people what this mark of the beast was. And of course, like all other scripture, it causes cults to rise. But surely, if there's such a thing fixing to befall the people of the earth, there should be some gospel, sensible answer to the question. And all the people of God said, can't wait. Can't wait. We can't wait to hear some more of this sensible answer that God's given to us. Now, let me tell you something. Uh, the sensible answer you ought to thank God for, and sensible, sensible teaching is something we should be thankful for. Now, I, I'm not talking about myself. I'm saying that I'm thankful that God has taught us or given us the revelation through a prophet in this last day, because the word of the Lord comes to the prophet, Right? But then, in turn, we've got this message to teach and preach and talk about and minister, and that's what gives us as a people today, that's what gives us a peace and a rest, and knowing that God is watching over His Word, He's going to fulfill it, and we've got a right understanding of it. So we're not running uh, to other sources like the rest of the world to try to find out what this means. It is such an important thing, because it's either a mark or a seal, one or the other, and you can't avoid one or the other, and it's going to tell what your, what your destination is, right? And so it's a very important thing, and he says it's such a thing that's going to affect all the peoples of the earth, and then there has to be a, a sound Bible answer to the question of what it is and, uh, you know, what it means and so forth. Now, all right. <clears throat> Brother Branham is, is sorry, let me, let me just go back. I want to just highlight one thing here. Many things have been thought and, and given to the people of what the mark of the beast is. Now, <clears throat> you remember when uh, Brother Branham 
had the experience of the, the tongues and interpretation that happened when he was up in Michigan with the people up there many years ago. You remember, and uh, he said, I, I was young in the ministry, he said, but I had a gift of discernment. And I, I was listening in this service, he said, it was great uh, Pentecostal service, lots of people there. And he says, one man jumps up and speaks in tongues, and another man jumps up to interpret it. And he said it was like a machine gun going off. And he was just, he like everybody else was captivated by this and this presence that was there. But he said because of the gift that I had, I could look at one man and realize he was a true genuine Christian. And the next man was a hypocrite living in in adultery with another woman. So now here he is in the midst of that with everybody else. And everybody else is looking, listen now, everybody else is looking at it one way. And he with that gift is looking at it another way. And he does not come out and speak openly about it until many years later when God gives him the revelation of anointed ones of the end time. And how he knows what it is that's gone on. I'm looking at you two guys over here. You're okay with this, right? Uh, he, he, he knows what's happened, but he's not, he's not got an answer for the problem here. And if it's a true gift of God, then there has to be somehow or another a biblical explanation for this and a cause as to how this could actually be. Because here's a man who's living falsely, saying the right thing as a result of somebody speaking in tongues. Excuse me, speaking in tongues, who's living right over here. And Brother Bam, I, I, I see what's happened. I know what's gone on, but I don't have a biblical answer for it. And then later on, he's waiting on God, and later on, he realizes that the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And that is the true anointing of the Holy Spirit, but somebody can be a false vessel and have the right anointing on them. And, you know, act act religious and do the uh, religious things and so forth, but still be false anointed ones at the end time. So he's waiting on God. He's, He's looking at this, and, uh, he, he's, in a sense, he's got an insight that nobody else has, and, if you like, he's looking at this like God looks at this. The truth is there. But everybody else in the building is looking at that and rejoicing over what's going on. They're saying, wow, that's of God, that's of God, that's of God. But they don't know the back story. Aren't you glad that somebody knew the back story? Because we can easily get, we can easily get sidetracked by the circumstances of something and not know the back story and be rejoicing at the wrong thing. Let me call it smoke screening. Now, my, my father-in-law, uh, who served in World War II, was credited for, uh, uh, for actually blowing up an enemy submarine, a German submarine in the Atlantic years ago. And uh, he was a potato peeler. He, he lied about his age to join the, the Navy and uh, signed on as a cook. And he'd be down in the galley peeling potatoes. And he was on a, a submarine destroyer, a smaller boat submarine they would hunt submarines because they caused such problems in the transatlantic waterways and they were carrying troops and supplies back and forth. And so he was navigating that whole corridor across the Atlantic and he'd be down peeling potatoes and, and getting lunch ready and then they would be, uh, sound, they'd sound an alarm. And whatever gun was empty, he'd have to get up there with his apron on and uh, put his knife in his pocket and get on the machine gun and, <laughs> you know, he'd shoot, be shooting planes out of the air and then go back to peeling potatoes again. That's the way he spent the war. Well, one time he came up on deck and they had sounded the alarm and there was a submarine apparently in the area. They tracked it and uh, caught the, uh, the, the sonar sound. Every submarine has a unique sound. And so they uh, caught this uh, sonar uh, tracking 
uh, in their radar, and when they went up, uh, he, there was there was nobody manning the uh, barrels, you know, the torp or the uh, depth charges that they had in the back of the boat. And so he jumped over, and when they told him to release the depth charge, he did. And, and apparently there was a, a, he had a direct hit on the submarine. He's credited with that in the history of uh, uh, naval warfare, World War II. None of your father-in-laws have probably done that. I just wanted to say this, that typically in submarine warfare, submarines very often would fake a hit. The submarines would. And what they would do is they would take clothing and supplies and put them in the torpedo tube. And after an explosion, when they were not hit, they would jettison all that stuff out because one of the telltale signs of hitting a submarine under, under the water was all the debris field that came as a result of that. And everything would float up to the surface and they'd see clothing and furniture and food and all that kind of stuff. And they, they figured, oh, wow, we, we hit it. We got it. And they would even take barrels of diesel fuel and shoot it out through there. And the diesel fuel would float to the top. And it really looked like some explosion happened underneath the water. But you know what? It really didn't. It was a smokescreen. And the submariners would do that to fake a hit so the destroyers would move on. They would think, all right, hey, we got that one, and we move on. And they'd just sit there in the water. They wouldn't turn on their engines. They would just sit there, and they would uh, wait, and they would uh, just pause until they, they knew that that ship was gone because they were listening on their radar as well. And the ship up top would be listening for the sound of that submarine. And when the submarine would sit there silent and all this debris on the top of the water, they would think, oh, we got it, okay, and they'd move on. It was a smokescreen. Now, I want to tell you this morning... And I believe that Satan is a good smoke screener. He, he, he sends all kinds of things out there in deception. Not because he can take away your eternal life. Because, hey, if you have eternal life, you always did have eternal life. You always will have eternal life. Do you believe that? You've got to believe that, folks. You're not going to lose it because, uh, you know, you, you caught the virus or you didn't. Or, uh, you know, you, you um, whatever. But Satan knows that he can distract a lot of people through deception. His chief tool is deception. Now watch what Brother Branham said. There are two spirits in the world. One of them, God's Holy Spirit. Now I inserted this word truth. Brother Branham didn't say this word right here, but I inserted that word truth. One of them is God's Holy Spirit, and he works in the realm of truth. Everything that God says is true. Do you believe that? The other one is the devil's spirit working in deception. So you have truth and lies contrasting one another, and there's only two forces. There's only two elements. The people of the earth are now making their choice, and the Holy Spirit is here calling out a bride for Christ. How does he do it? Here's how he does it. He is doing it by vindicating his word of promise to her for this age, showing that it is Christ. The Holy Spirit is here vindicating the message of the hour. The Holy Spirit is here vindicating the message of the hour. I said the Holy Spirit is here vindicating not some preacher or not some movement. The Holy Spirit is here vindicating the message of the hour. God's Word. That's what He vindicates. So that the people that believe God will be called out of this chaos. That's what the Holy Spirit's doing. He's vindicating. He's making sure that you understand the Word of God is true. And what God says is true. That's what He's here to do. 
He's not here to make you richer. He's not here to make you a bigger organization. He's not here to do any of that. He is here to make sure that you understand that what God has said in this last day is absolutely true. And what God said He's going to bring to pass is going to come to pass. And nothing's going to stop, hinder, or hold up God. It's going to happen. There will be a bride. Somebody say amen. There will be a bride in the last day. Nothing's going to stop that. And the Holy Spirit is here vindicating His message to the, to the bride of Christ and showing her that it is Christ. I don't know how it works, but I do know this. And when I first saw the message, I believed it was of God. I never even knew God, but I knew it was of God. I knew it was right. I knew somehow, fundamentally, internally, non-intellectually, that this message is right. Never knew anything. I, I, as I told you before, I never really understood what was Old Testament, New Testament. I mean, I, I never knew that there was really a distinction between the two. I just all thought it was the Bible. I, I never, uh, I mean, I never knew, I never knew. That's how much I knew. And then when I came across this message and read the church age book for the first time, hey, I knew that was of God. But you know what? That's the Holy Spirit's job to make sure I do know that's of God. And when you know something is of God, you're willing to lay down everything else and follow that, pursue that, believe that, give your life for that because you know it's of God. And if it's of God, it's worth dying for, it's worth living for, it's worth existing for, all of that. The Holy Spirit is here vindicating the message of the hour. The devil's unholy spirit, though, is here calling his church by the error or the perversion of the Word of God, like he did at the beginning. One of the most important principles Brother Branham ever gave us is that he said, the devil is not a creator, he's only a perverter of God's creation. So therefore, if God has a true word, and he has a vindication of that word, then Satan's job is simply to take that same word and pervert it or twist it a little bit so that there is a smokescreen and you're believing something that's just off. It's just like you sitting on that destroyer thinking you hit that submarine and you really didn't. But there's a lot of evidence that suggests, suggests you did. You're sailing through evidence that suggests you hit that submarine, and in reality you didn't. Listen, evidence suggests, the way Brother Branham describes it, in that meeting in Michigan, that that tongues and interpretation was of God by two godly people. But Satan is doing some sort of a smokescreen here, and now Brother Branham's looking at this like God sees it. Isn't that true? He's looking at it like God sees it, and he says, wow, saying something true, operating a true gift, but one of them is as false as a $3 bill. And what that is, is deception at work. But that's the devil's job. Here's a question for you. When Brother Brandon went off the scene, did deception stop? Or has deception accelerated? It has accelerated a million-fold. Now, <clears throat> Brother Branham's asked the question, Brother Branham, speaking on the mark of the beast, don't you believe that there will be a tattoo in your head, a number in your head, or a tattoo something on your hand? I mentioned part of this last, last Sunday. No, sir, don't never look for that. It will be a boycott, certainly. No man could buy or sell lest he belongs to the Confederation of Churches. That's true. They'll come like a union, unionizing the thing, bringing it down, unionized religion. Now, he talks about unions here in a moment. We'll, we'll visit that as well. But 
he's making sure that we understand what it's not. Last week we talked about a lot of silliness that, that demonstrates what it's not. And there's, there's things that are said in symbol form. There are things that are said in seasons uh, and not necessarily in exact moments of time. Um, there are things that we've learned over Scripture and watching patterns that Brother Branham gave to us uh, over many years. And, and these are important. Like, for instance, somebody said, uh, Brother Branham said, now there's going to be a mark of the beast going to come someday. Let me tell you, it's already come. As soon as the Holy Ghost began to fall, the mark of the beast began to take place. There are literally hundreds of thousands of books like this. I don't know who this person is, but I got it for the, uh, for the title because it projects this thing as coming. And everybody's going to have a mark or a tattoo or an RFID, an inserted chip in their hand or something. And, and that's what's going to be the mark of the beast. And Brother Random's clearly telling us. Now remember, if I understand what I just read correctly back a couple of screens ago, the Holy Spirit is here vindicating the message of the hour. He's making sure that we understand that that's true. If that's true, then the words on the right are true. The title of the book on the left is incorrect. Not saying that that guy's insincere. He's not, a, he's not purposely doing that. He's not doing it probably with malice. He's probably trying to understand and sort out all the symbolism of the book of Revelation without, without consulting the one he should have been consulting in the first place, and that is a prophet because the word of the Lord does not come to authors. It comes to prophets. Right? The word of the Lord does not. Hey, I got news for you. Sorry. But the word of the Lord doesn't come to Facebook. The word of the Lord comes to prophets, right? And he says, as soon as the Holy Ghost began to fall, the mark of the beast began to take place. When the trumpet sounded and all could go free, then that didn't, uh, they that didn't was marked. Now, there are other things that are smoke screens. And I mentioned this last Sunday as well. And this is the Council for Inclusive Capitalism that is sponsored by uh, the Vatican. It, it's, it's an absolutely incredible thing, I think. Uh, and you'll hear more about it as we go along. Even if it doesn't stay in the form it's in, it will, it will, uh, it will hang around. Because it is an attempt to build a one world full of peace and love and everybody on the same uh, economic footing. So you can go and look this up. You can go and uh, research some of this. But in every instance that you look for this, you will find the Vatican or the Pope's uh, you know, insignia all over it. Let me give you one little piece of news here. Uh, this, this came this week. It seems like an unusual pairing, big business and the Pope Francis, uh, who is a pontiff, repeatedly criticized capitalism in scathing forms over the years. Now stop for a minute. Uh, somebody told me a couple of years ago, they said, you watch this, watch this current Pope. He will use environmentalism as a tool to unite people in ways that nobody's expecting. And I, I scoffed and mocked and ridiculed him and, you know, everything else. I said, why would the Pope be interested in environmentalism? And, you know, what difference does it make? And all the rest of it. And I gave all my arguments. But I found out, to my great disappointment, that they were right. And this is an issue. This is a, um, it, it's, it's kind of a, um, one of the campaign pillars, if you like, that the Catholic Church is using uh, to bring unity in the world. It's our common concern over the world and the environment. And this has garnered attention from lots and lots of very wealthy and very smart people in the world. And remember now, these people are looking at this naturally. They're not looking at it spiritually. They're looking at it naturally. 
They announced a new partnership today and the latest sign of growing influence of environmental, social, and governing governance. So this is the ESG, the environmental aspect of this, the social aspect of this, meaning that we should eliminate war, eliminate poverty, uh, eliminate uh, guns, eliminate everything else that causes unrest, and have social equality in our world so that there are no poor, there are no filthy rich. We eliminate the 1%. Uh, and we take all of their money and distribute it among the lower 99%, and everybody's happy, and everybody loves one another, and this is going to be just great. Kind of like, kind of like Nimrodism. We're going to be safe, we're going to be, we're going to be happy, we're going to be all healthy, we're going to be on the same level, we're all going to walk out on dry ground. We got this, okay? We don't need God, we don't need to worry about the devil, we got this, we have solutions. And this is one of the global solutions now being introduced into the world to bring that to pass. If you go back, and I haven't done this yet, but if you go back, you'll find Brother Branham predicting exactly that this is going to happen in the world. And he says, so they have these three combinations, this trinity of things, environmentalism, socialism, and governance, whereby governments would not then be dictatorships, but governing bodies would be if you like, assisted by a central authority or mind that would govern things in a certain way and on a certain even keel. Meet the Council for Inclusive Capitalism with the Vatican, a group of businesses, investors, and groups that represent $2.1 trillion in market capital and 200 million employees. The group has announced pledges towards environmental and sustainable business goals that fit into the ESG movement. It's already got a name, with Pope Francis's blessing. So now all of a sudden we have, you know, emerging of some very powerful entities in our world. Hey, everybody, wake up. This is a smokescreen. This is not the millennium. But that's what Satan is. He's a deceiver, and he tries to impersonate or pervert God's word. So there is, the Bible talks about a millennium. They're kind of trying to build one and portray one as coming. And this is the answer to all of our problems. And when we get there and have all three of these things lined up, all three of these ducks in a row, environmentalism, nobody destroying the earth and resources of the earth, and then socialism, and we have governing uh, bodies which really take their orders and get in line. You know what? We're going to have nothing but absolute, everlasting bliss. And there'll be no more problems. And they're portraying a millennium that's not of God. And all it is is a smokescreen. But here's what's interesting. Brother Branham said, He caused all both great and small to receive the mark. And he deceived the whole world. Talk about Satan here. And he says, he, 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 the whole earth, the religious cults, the pretended Christian, the church member, he deceived the moral man, the good man, the so-called preacher, the so-called Christian. That's what Satan does. He, 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 he's able to deceive everybody. He deceived all, the Bible says all, with his great propaganda, saying we're all one big church, we all ought to unite together, have the things of the world and the church and the state uniting, we settle all wars forever. Didn't I just read that? Thousands, listen, thousands of mothers, millions of them would say, that's the thing we want. You know why? 
because this is 1956. And all of these mothers were alive when their sons died on the fields of Europe and in Japan and in Pearl Harbor. And they're all saying, we don't want that to happen again. Does that make sense? So logically now, they're looking at circumstances just like logically the people in the audience look at those two over there speaking in tongues and interpreting and thinking, wow, that's of God. God's looking at this another way. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's the world now. Here's Brother Brandon telling us in 1956, the world's going to look at Whatever movement that arises that promises world peace, prosperity, governance, environmental, uh, you know, sanity, and all the other things, the economic prosperity that's level for everybody, and the world's going to look at that, and the mothers are all going to say, we want that. That's, that makes sense. We want to have that. That's the thing we want. But here's what he says. Watch where it comes from, sister. Watch what the backstory is. So when God looks at this thing, when God looks at that website and sees, uh, you know, the attempts by, uh, you know, trillions of dollars being poured into something that's sponsored by the Vatican. And, and by the way, the Vatican still flowing with the blood of martyrs from all of those years and all the opposition that it gave, uh, you know, not only to Martin Luther, but to everybody else down through the ages. And now all of a sudden, oh, look to us for peace, prosperity, and environmental happiness, and everybody's going to be, uh, you know, happy and joyful, and we'll all have uh, equal amounts of money. There'll be no more rich people around, and there'll be no more guns around, and everything else. You know what it is? It's a smokescreen. Thank God for a prophet that's able to identify, that's what they're going to say, boys, that's what's going to happen, that, you know, they're going to, they're all going to go to that, because logically, it makes sense. But I'm here to tell you, it's not biblical. And Brother Branham's looking at that and saying, that's not God's way of doing things. And you've got to be careful that you don't fall into the trap of doing things that are not biblical, even though they may be logical. Are we okay? Because Brother Branham said, that's what every mother is going to cry for. That's what they're all going to be passionate for, is to look for things that on the surface they look good. But in reality, it is a misguided attempt at survival. And you know where it comes from? It comes to the book of Genesis. So I have an article here. It's a serious article about preppers. Now, I don't know if you know John Harwell, but if, if he was, had the mic for a moment, he'd say only one word. Really? Really, Brother Ray? Really? Yes. Now, this article is a, um, as a journalist will, will be able to read this and, and realize, this, this guy is serious. He's serious as a clogged artery. I mean, this is, he's not poking fun at the fanaticism of preppers here. This guy, who is the author of this article, he has just finished a book, and the name of the book is titled Bunker. Colon, Building for the End Times. That's the book he's written, Bunker, Building for the End Times. And he wrote this article for the Atlantic magazine as kind of a preamble to that whole book that is, I think it's on, on the racks now, I think, I'm not sure. 
But he talks about this idea of survivalism. And survivalism is a movement of individuals or groups who actively participate and prepare for emergencies, including possible disruptions in social and political order on scales that are either from local, of local interest or international interest. Let me read it again. Survivalism is a movement. This is the formal definition. It's a movement of individuals or groups who actively prepare for emergencies including possible disruptions in social or political order on scales from local to international scale. So in other words, there's all kinds of people out there in this world today, in our country today, who know that something's coming. They know something's coming. You probably know somebody who is a bit of a prepper. Most of us do. And, and they're the people who... Uh, you know, they're, they're going to they're gonna do whatever they can to protect themselves when the order of things breaks down. The, the, you know, like, it, it's, hey, it's a fact, it's a given fact that when, uh, you know, when a, a, liberal, uh, a liberal is elected to office, gun sales and bullet sales go way up through the ceiling. Because anyone who doesn't get on there and endorse the NRA uh, all of a sudden becomes a threat to everybody who holds a gun, and gun sales go way up. Proportionately, if a conservative gets elected and makes statements like he's defending Second Amendment rights, then gun sales and bullet sales go way down because people are not afraid that their rights are going to be taken away. It's a, hey, it's a fact. You can, you can look it up statistically. It's absolutely, it's absolutely true. Preppers, let me tell you something. As much fun as I've made about preppers, I get it. That's the truth. I, I get it. Because if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost, in, in a sense, in a sense, it makes sense. Because, listen, haven't we proven by now that an election doesn't fix everything? And government doesn't fix anything. I'm, I'm not an anti-government person. I'm not promoting that at all, whatsoever. But there's a lot of people in the world feel like, hey, at some point we're going to have to take matters into our own hands. And so they do the natural thing, that is prepare medicines, foods, weapons, uh, supplies, things they're going to need, because eventually, you know what, something's coming. For a lot of people who have lived in 2020 and were preppers, they kind of said, see? So all of you that went and tried to buy all the toilet paper in the world out there, let me tell you, it was already gone, because somebody had it already. Sorry. In other words, there is a sense, there is a sense, a real sense among people that we're at the end of something. And something's got to break or something's got to give. And I get that. I get that. I'm not the kind of a person that has ever been out to Montana looking for deep holes in the ground and trying to buy property out there. I'm, I'm not that kind of a person. But without the Holy Ghost, just... Reading headlines would tell you something's, something's got to give. In 1965, when Brother Branham went down to Louisiana, you remember, or, or sorry, it's recognized in your day in its message in 1964, and he's down there with Jack Moore and all those other ministers, and they're printing newsletters and sending them out saying, repent, repent, the end is coming, repent, something's about to happen, uh, something's about to break. The end time's about to break. So, you know, repent and fast and be ready and prepare yourselves. And 
this is exactly, here's Brother Branham standing there, and all of these ministers, he said, they're doing that out of sincerity because they know something's coming. They know the end is near. Now, the answer to their question was standing right there. Because the word of the Lord does not come to a prepper. The word of the Lord comes to a prophet. Right? So he's got the answer they're looking for. And it looks logical to do something. But let me tell you, God's looking at this whole end time thing a different way. Now, what's really interesting is that there's a lot of fundamental people who are involved in this. And they base their whole premise of prepping on the Bible. That's what was a shock to me. This is a food storage bunker here, an old one. But they base this whole idea on Scripture. There is a treasure to be desired, an oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man spendeth it up. In other words, he's not thinking about a time when there may not be a Walmart. Imagine (laughs) a world without a Walmart. Therefore, let us not sleep, Paul writes, as do others, but let us watch and be sober. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but a simple pass on and are punished. And they have reams of Scripture like this that justify the fact that they are preparing for some great calamity when the order of things breaks down. All I'm saying to you this morning so far is this, that we can look at something and men can look at something logically, but God looks at it very differently. And it's that backstory that makes the difference. It's that truth. That makes the difference. But Satan's job is to paint it all, what? In deception. To make it sound right, look right, feel right. I'm doing something good to protect my family. i got medicine stockpiled because we know we're going to need it. We have uh, cash in, in, in bags. We have, um, you know, body bags here stored and all the rest of it because we know something's going to happen. And logically, people look at things a certain way, and yet God looks at it another way, and he whispers to his prophet and say. Uh, it ain't going to be that way. And he lets them go on in strong deception until the tribulation. And in the tribulation now, the reality strikes them, but it's too late. In the same way that the people of Noah's day looked up at the rain and said, there's got to be a solution. And the solution floated away. Are we Okay. I was talking to somebody else the other day. <clears throat> How many love your pastor? And they were telling me about another church, not this church, but they were telling me about another church, and they were saying that um, the whole year of should we have church, have we not have church, it's done something to the church. You know, this is not our church, this is some other church. And it affects people. In some churches they have half the church come and half the church stays away and then they rotate the next week and some churches have shut down for periods of time. It's had an effect. It's had an effect on young people. It's had an effect on families. And then people in the church don't get to see each other hardly. They they uh, arrive right in time for church. They leave right the moment church is after because they're discouraged from uh, from congregating or fellowshipping at all. We don't have dinners anymore hardly. Uh, we, there's a lot of things we missed out on this year because of, of the way things are. It's not our fault. It's just the way things are. And it's a reality we've all had to adapt to whether we like it or not. But it, it obviously affects churches. I, I, don't, 
I mean, every pastor that I've talked to has kind of said the same thing. We don't just spend our time talking on the phone about all the negative things that have gone on, but in comments that people are experiencing and other church members are experiencing, it's tough because you take away some of that spontaneous uh, group stuff that we do, and we get together with our young people, and we get together with our old folks, and we get together with our uh, the joy group, uh, sorry, and or the couples, or we you know we do different things here, and it's kind of a spontaneous, natural thing. It's what we've always done: get together, and had conventions, and had meetings, and had gatherings, and men's meetings, and all the rest of it, even the informal things. And and so therefore, you know, there's a <clears throat> there's a, a, a tendency. There's a tendency in, in a lot of churches that as a result of the fact that the whole church can't to get, get together, then the parts of the church get together. And in many ways, many ways, there's nothing, anything wrong with that. I mean, families tend to congregate. They always have. They always will. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. But let me just say this, that congregating together is not wrong as long as it's not to the exclusion of of some. The moment, the moment that we intentionally exclude some, then you know what? Something's got into that that isn't of God. It may look logical, it may look right, but let me tell you, God's looking at, I just, I just want you to understand, God's looking at that another way. And so, therefore, we had to be careful about that. In other words, we look at our calendars. We look around and we look at the people that we associate with and realize that if we're always with the same people all the time, to the exclusion of someone else, then I'm here to tell you that something's got in. Many times that's done on purpose for two reasons. Number one is insecurity. If I, don't, if I don't gather a group around me, then I won't have a group. Or secondly, it's caused by offense. When somebody feels that they've been offended, then they gather together around and say, huh, it's just us and no more. And you know what? That's how people in the world think. I said that's how people in the world think. Christians think differently. You know, want to know how Christians think? Christians think like this. Jesus says that if my brother offend me, I will leave my gift at the altar and go to that person and make it right. So that there is not things that linger between us that cause us to think, well, you know, we're just getting together. That's all right. And there's, uh, hey, we, we'll do that forever because there, there, we all have likes and people that we get along with, people that we have things in common with. Not a thing wrong with that. But when we do it with the intent of excluding somebody else, then we have a different problem to deal with. So it's important for us as Christians to step back a little bit and take a look at the bigger picture and say, huh, what about if I was the one who was excluded? How would I feel if I was on the outside end of this thing? Just saying. Can I go a little further? Now, 
Brother Branham said that there would be a, a time when men would receive a mark, and a mark of the beast. And every time that there's a little something that flies up in the country, everybody said, well, that's the mark of the beast. I heard about the NRA, and that's the mark of the beast. We talked about that last Sunday. Here comes Russia down. Every time there's a little something flies up in the country, people ascribe it to that. So it would be either new technologies, it would be historical personalities, it would be uh, something that uh, people look at that would, in a sense, be a reason to divide, uh, an issue that would divide, whether it be the NRA or abortion or whatever else. And, and people look at those things as opportunities now for the devil to step right in there and cause a division. We've talked about some of these things last week, that, uh, the real ID, because it's new technology. And a lot of things about it people don't understand. But Brother Manum comes along and he assures us that this is not an outward thing. It's, it's talking about a spiritual mark, a spiritual seal. Now, I want you to look at two scriptures with me. One I'll put on the board here. This idea of sealing... This idea of sealing is not a new thing to God. In John chapter 6, watch what he says. All that the Father given me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's pretty definitive. That's pretty positive. Every one of the ones that the Father has given me, they will come to me. Every one of them. And I will lose none of them, and it will not be cast out. For I come down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will. This is very clear. This is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. Whether they go down in death, or whether they go through the change of the body, either way, they're all going to be there, because that's the Father's will. Now, this does not say this is the Father's will concerning you. In other words, this is what God wants you to do. That's nothing to do with that. This is, this is God's will Himself. These are words in red. And Jesus is telling, telling us, do you know what the Father's will is? The Father's will is that all of His will be there in the last day. Nothing's going to change that. And you know what? God tends to get His way. Would you agree? There ain't no force that's powerful enough for God not to get His way. God gets His way. And Jesus is not asking us, do we agree? He's not asking you to participate. He's just saying, this is the Father's will. Here's how it is, boys. And, and this is what He says, that none of them will be lost, but I'll raise them up in the resurrection. And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone that seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise them up at the last day. You know why Jesus is so authoritative about this? Is because... That's what God has always said. Take your Bible now. Here's where you need your Bible. Ezekiel chapter 9. Ezekiel the ninth chapter. <clears throat> Give you a couple of verses here. Ezekiel chapter 9. This is the little story about the judgment cycle that uh, Ezekiel describes here and how God's in the, uh, in the end he's going to mark and destroy those that disagree with him. And so he, verse 1, he cried into mine ear, saying with a loud voice, saying, cause them that have charge over the city to draw near every man uh, with his destroying weapon in his hand. And behold, six men came from the way of the higher gate, which lieth toward the north, and every man a slaughter weapon in his hand. Okay, so here's the picture. 
Six of these creatures have a slaughtering weapon in their hand. And that means that the working end of this weapon is meant to take people out. And one man among them was clothed with a linen with a writer's inkhorn by his side and went in and stood beside the brass altar. So we got six folks with a slaughtering weapon in their hand about to do business. And one of them standing there by the same altar has got an inkhorn. He's got something to mark with. And three, and the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord of Israel was gone up from the cherub whereupon he was uh, to the threshold of the house. And he called to the man clothed with linen, which had the writer's inkhorn by his side. And the Lord said unto him, so seven of them are standing there. And God calls for the man with the inkhorn. And he comes forth. And the Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the forehead of the men that sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. And to the others, he said in mine hearing, go after him through the city and smite. And let not your eyes spare, neither have ye pity. God was, listen, here are these people now. Remember now, this is the season of exile. The people who have disobeyed God. <coughs> Excuse me. And here they are now. And God is, you know, is showing Ezekiel this vision, and the six of these fellows are standing there with these weapons in their hand. They're about ready to go out. And then God tells them to go. And they're out there slaughtering and sparing none out there. But before that happened, in the principle of warning before judgment, God takes the man with the inkhorn and sends him out looking for something that the world is probably not looking for. He doesn't say, go out and mark all those people who attend the church. He doesn't say, go out and mark all the people who are in the revival. Because remember, all those people who were in the revival in Michigan when Brother Branham was there, and two people were operating, anointed under those gifts, and if you were sitting next to them, your hair would stand on the back, up, back of your neck when either one of them spoke. You know why? Because it was the Holy Spirit on both of them. Right? So if you were sitting next to that, you'd say, Oh, buddy, I was there. I was there. I was right there. And I'll tell you what, that was the same Spirit on both of them. Must be of God. And you know what? They'd be right. I mean, to be saying that the, the same Spirit was on both. But here's God looking at this situation a little bit differently. Now, here's the man with the inkhorn going through the city, and God's looking for a specific attitude among people. And when you find that particular attitude, they've got, a, they got a, just a sorrow and a burden for the abominations that are done. Go, go and, and find those that sigh and cry for the abominations that are done in the city. Don't go look for the people who have been in church longest. Don't go for people who are on the missionary field and collecting all kinds of money as a result of it. Don't, don't, go, don't go looking for that. Don't go looking for the biggest uh, church building or the biggest program or whatever else, best singers in the church. Don't go looking for that. You go look for the people that are broken in heart over the abominations that are done right in a place where they should know better. Among, among people who have been Christianized for years and had the message broadcast to them and all that, find the, just find the individual who is looking at this thing and say, why doesn't God shut it down? And, you know, Lord, help us to find the last one. And, you know, Lord, help us to get this message out to people. And Go find that one. Go find that one that's got that attitude in heart and just mark him. 
And when they, when the angels went out there with the destroying weapons in their hands, they were to look for only one thing. And that is that token. And when they saw that, they just passed over. Are you with me? God's been into marking believers for a long time. I said He's been into protecting believers by mark for a long time. Because, you know, whether it was a a crimson scarf that was put outside the window, or whether it was a mark on them, or whatever other way that God chose to do it, when the token was applied, that angel passed right by. I see this guy with a mark, and I don't see a mark on this guy. Whack! And off goes his head. The word mark in verse 4. And set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry. Is the Hebrew word tav. And it simply means by definition this. I love it. A sign of exemption from judgment. You put a sign of exemption from judgment on those people, and everybody else gets treated the same way. But that guy is exempt from judgment. Aren't you glad for the mark of the Holy Spirit? Aren't you glad for the seal of God in your life? Aren't you glad for the token that when the death angel rides through this land, he's not looking for what church you belong to, or what you've accomplished in life, or how much money is in your IRA. He's not looking for that. He's looking for that mark, and that mark exempts you from judgment. Nothing else exempts you from judgment. That's what exempts you from judgment, is the mark God put there. The government didn't put there. The Pope didn't put it there. God puts that mark there. And when that mark is there, that gives the angel a pass, and he just goes right on to the next row and the next row after that. That's what he's looking for. That is the protection from judgment. That's what every one of us, that's what Jesus was referring to in John chapter 6. Everyone that believeth, everyone that that are mine, everyone that I hold in the palm of my hand, nobody's going to get them. The destroying angel is not even going to get them. Satan is not going to get them. Nobody's going to get them because they have the token applied and it is an exemption from judgment altogether. We're living in a cycle of beginning judgment in the earth, and there's only one thing going to protect you from that, and it is not attendance here, or a handful of dirt off Brother Branham's grave, or some piece of his suitcase or his floor. It's going to be a mark that God applies in your life, because you believe the word of the hour, and you're walking in that light, and you sigh and cry for a world that should know better, but absolutely turns its back on righteousness and justice. And carries on in its sinfulness and its debauchery and doesn't care and shakes its fist in the face of God and says, we'll find our way out. And they're actually anointed with the Spirit of Nimrod in the last day to believe that they can do it and we don't need God's help and we don't need to fear the devil. And bless God, we've got an organization that's going to protect us all the way through. I say we should thank God for men like that pastor over there in Tanzania who walked away from that system and said, I'm willing to let go of that mark to have an exemption from judgment by getting a mark of God by believing the Word. And he pays a price in this life, but he gains eternity through the process. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, when you know you're exempt from the judgment that's coming, you're not worried about buying and selling. Because you believe in the God is going to provide, because He has always provided. He is Jehovah Jireh, the same as He ever was. And He's going to provide the same way for us as He did for folks in other ages. 
We have no worry about our health insurance being taken away. Because if we have no other avenue, God's always got an avenue for the people of God. We always have the supernatural part that God supplies. Let me tell you, the mark that exempts you from judgment is the key thing. And it doesn't come from what you do or do not do. It is a mark applied by God. And God looking for things that the world doesn't look for, but He's looking at that. Those who sigh and cry for the abomination of the city. God says, if you don't see that, slay it. If you don't see that, kill it right where it stands there. We're going we're gonna to destroy it all. My goodness, what a sobering thing. But what a blessed thing it is for the people of God. What a blessed thing it is uh, for, the, for the believer in this last day. When right at the beginning of this tribulation period that we're moving into here, God says, I'm going to send a message, and that message and your belief in it will mark you for an exemption from judgment. Wow. And here's a pope over here building and building. You know why? Because they have rejected the truth that God has sent. If they'd only wait, God would establish a millennium. If they'd only wait, we'd have our millennium. It does not require uh, Bank of America to build it. It doesn't require, uh, you know, the Rothschilds to finance it. Yeah, let me tell you, it's going to happen because it's God's Word. God's Word's going to come to pass. How many believe that? God's Word's going to come to pass. It's going to happen. It's going to go. It's going to fly. And no devil's going to stop it. But here they are running ahead of God trying to build a hanging garden in Babylon because they feel like, you know what? <clears throat> We're going to smoke screen this thing. That's exactly what it is. It's a smokescreen. But that's what the devil's job is. It's a smokescreen everybody. And put all that stuff in the tube of the submarine and shoot it out there and let everybody above believe that this, this submarine now is history. Remember, remember, <clears throat> in this world, people look at things a certain way, but God looks at it another way. And it's that backstory that lets you in on what the truth really is. You know, aha, I ain't going to join that. I ain't joining that. We're not going to take our church and join it with some system over there. We ain't going to do that. We're, we're, you know what? We're, we're a sovereign church in ourselves. So we, don't have to, we, we don't have to unite in some kind of an organization in, in order to have protection or whatever, keep our doors open or whatever else. Hey, listen, when, when, when the doors are shut down, when the doors are forced to be shut down, and, and we're, we're locked out of being able to worship like this, great. It's all right. Play something there, Brother Keith, or I'll keep preaching if you don't play something here. <clears throat> That'd be great. I mean, it'd be great because when, when, the, doors, when the doors actually shut, it'd be like Noah realizing, hey, great. You know what? Rain's got to be close by now. And if they shut our doors, well, I mean, that'd be scary because people say, but hello, the message has told us this for a long Yeah, I mean, there's always an uncertainty about walking into, you know, times and you don't, you don't know what this is going to feel like and all the rest of it. There is a, there's a certain trepidation about that. I mean, there's a certain, a certain feeling about the unknown that we're, we're walking. We, I mean, we've never done this before, right? None of us have ever been <laughs> changed in a moment the twinkling of an eye. None of us have ever done that. But, you know, we're walking closer to it and closer to it. The thing we know we have is an exemption from judgment, right? I got that. I got that. I got the token applied. I got that. I don't know much else, but I got that. Thank God I got that. And we're moving towards something all the time, right? And there's a certain trepidation, a certain resist, you know, reluctance we have, uh, you know, because we've never done this before. But I will tell you what, 
it's, it's, it's at that particular point where your faith has got to fall back on something. And what it's got to fall back on is the Word of God, because the Word of God doesn't fail. So you've got to go back to something solid, right? You've got to go back to something real. You've got to go back to something, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's substantial. And it's not going to shift because the Pope says this. Or someone mentions Second Amendment or whatever else. Hey, God's Word doesn't shift. Oh, I wouldn't take nothing from my journey now. Crank it up there, Brother Keith. Let's sing it this morning. Wouldn't take no wood, 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 wouldn't take nothing for my journey. Let's sing it. <laughs> Maybe I should preach. As it turned me around. Well, he's offered everything that's got me. Worldly fame, but it was good. Started out traveling for so many years ago. Had a lot of heartaches, had a lot of grief and woe. Then I would stumble, then I would humble down. There. Would take nothing for my journey now. Gotta make it to heaven somehow. So the devil tempts me and tries to turn me around. Well, he's offered everything that's got a name. All the wealth I want, worldly fame is good. Still, I wouldn't take enough for my journey now. Try to make it to heaven somehow. Oh, the devil tempts me and tries to turn me around. And though he's offered everything that's got a name, all the wealth I want, the worldly fame, but nothing for my journey now. We're reminded of that. Every praise belongs to God. Thank God for sending His Son. Thank God for the resurrection. Thank God for the release we have. Thank God for the liberty we enjoy. Thank God for what God's provided for us in this last day. I'm walking around with no marks on me at all. I got no marks on me at all. Glory. Every day I get up and check and no marks. Glory. I know. I know. Judgment's going to pass right over. And one day I'll step in on the other side. Sing it now. Every praise to our God and every word of worship, one accord is Every praise, every praise, praise to our God. Sing hallelujah. Bye.
you serve him today yes. I've been changed <laughs> I've been changed I've been reborn all my life has been rearranged that's it alright we got it I've been
scarlet, clear white as snow. I was bound, but today I am free. Well, I was lost in the darkness, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. And I've been changed. Oh, I've been reborn now. All my life has been rearranged. Oh, what a difference it makes when the Lord has His way. All my life, praise God, has changed. Oh, I've been changed. I've been reborn now. All my life has been rearranged. to get this. You just had to be in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Let's sing it. These are the days of Elijah. He cried, reigns the word of the Lord. These are the days of your servant Moses righteousness
all the days of your servant David, rebuilding the temple of praise. And these are the days of the harvest.
Do you have any marks anywhere? Spiritually, I stand clean, a clean slate before God. And let me tell you, nobody over there will have a mark on them, the mark of the beast, none of that. Everyone over there will just be without a mark. raise your hand to God when we pray and just say, Lord Jesus, I, I, I know you know all about it, but Lord, I, I'm, just, I'm just raising my hand because I believe that you're able today to touch me in the same way that anybody, anybody can be touched. And so whether you're listening online or whether you're here in the building, just reach out to God because let me tell you, He's, he's brought us this far. He's with us. He's going to bring us to the last part of the journey. You just got to believe that with all your heart. Sing it again now as Brother Prejo comes. There is none like you, Lord. No one else can touch a heart like you do. I could search for all eternity, Lord, and find. Father, we thank you this morning for once again. We've seen your great Holy Spirit weaving principles through a message like no man could do. You alone, Lord, can do these things. You alone can hide it from the eyes of the wise and prudent and reveal it unto your children such as would learn. Learn because in them is an attribute since before the foundation of the world. In them is the very mind of Christ. And, Lord, your Holy Spirit is quickening like the mind that was in the Father. For this mind be in you that was in Christ. It will quicken these mortal bodies. We thank you this morning for the quickening power. I pray that no one would leave here without a special touch from you this morning. Yes, Lord Jesus. I pray that as men we wouldn't close the service too quickly. But that if there'd be someone still struggling like they came in 
Lord, that your great Holy Spirit would hold them in this presence. Break the struggle. Break the chains. Break the cycle. That they wouldn't leave and go out these doors with the struggle they came in with, but with a hope, a great hope, a hope in Christ. We thank you now this morning for having been in your presence. Bless each and every person. A healing touch in their bodies. A healing touch in their hearts. A deliverance from greatest battles ever being fought in their minds. And we'll be sure, Lord, to give you all the honor, the glory, and the praise. Bless your people once again. And touch them, young and old alike, like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. I need